From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We are law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi, Radhika. Welcome back to The Podvocate. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to have you back. So we're really excited to be talking to a pod alum and like original member um, so Radhika is two years out of Loyola at this point. It feels like way more than that, but it's actually less. I graduated in May of 21, but oh, it has okay. been a long year. <laughs> Let me just say that. So the year after law school, I think a lot of people will agree because, um, you're taking the bar exam while well, you're studying for the bar exam, then taking the bar exam, then applying for jobs, then interviewing for jobs. Then starting your first job in which you actually learn how to be a lawyer because you don't learn that in law school, that first year um, is it's a big year. So a lot, a lot has happened. Plus the global pandemic and, you know, like, yeah, like nothing going on globally. That's crazy at all. So um, not not a big year for anybody. I would love to talk to you about what you've done since law school, because you've chosen to take a pretty like non-traditional route since graduating and I think our listeners don't really hear a lot about kind of the alternative ways that we can utilize our JDs once we finish school. Let's talk a little bit about kind of what your path was starting with like your 3L year exiting school, what you were looking at and considering, and then kind of from then up until present day, like where you're landing or have landed. Yeah, I'm actually going to take it back a little further because I think my non-traditional path began way before I was in law school. And I think a lot of what I've done and I'm doing and I'm thinking post-law school is informed by pre-law school. So um, I began um, my like working life, which was, um, what year is it? 2022? So it's been 12 years since I graduated from undergrad. Um, And I was like, I had a science background. I worked in medical laboratories. I majored in molecular biology and psychology. Um, And then I became a clinical therapist. And I focused a lot on, uh, especially like on multicultural counseling and they called it cultural competency back then. I'm not sure that term is still used. but I did a lot of that kind of work. I ended up focusing in forensic psychology and worked in men's prisons and psychiatric hospitals with um, people in juvenile detention. Um, And my frustrations with the systems that I was working in is what led me to law school. So when I came to law school, I wasn't really sure of what I wanted to do with the law degree. I just knew that um, I wanted to be working at a more macro level. Um, As a therapist, I was really dealing with individuals and their day-to-day problems, and the system was not geared towards true rehabilitation. 
um, it was a revolving door and I just felt like we were all banging our heads against the wall, you know? So I was like, something's got to give, I can't work in this system. So I came to law school with the aims of working at a more macro level, maybe um, at an institutional or systemic level. Um, so all throughout law school, I was like, I'm not going to work at a firm. That's not what I want to do. I, I'm not a... Um, not very good at like the corporate ladder thing at all. And I was 30 when I graduated from law school. So no, I wasn't, I was 32. Um, so I was uh, not really ready to enter at the ground level and work my way up again. I just felt like um, I needed something different. And I also was prioritizing my work-life balance, which I think a lot of fresh law school grads don't have the luxury to do, but because I was married and I had an um, earning partner, I didn't have to um, focus on that aspect as much and I could kind of pursue a passion. All that to say, it's not really what happened when I graduated from law school. You know, I took the bar exam and um, for listeners who have taken it and gone through this process, you'll understand there's like a, almost a existential crisis that everyone experiences post bar, where you're just like, I failed. I'm the dumbest person in the world. How did I like law school? Yeah, no, no, it's just very consistent. I think that didn't change even after I got into the workforce. So uh, that's something to look forward to. You're always going to feel like a dumb failure. Um, It's the nature of the beast, I guess. Um, So yeah, I was I was in that crisis mode. I was applying to jobs. I applied to like 30 jobs and most of them will just never respond to you. Like you, you don't get a no, you definitely don't get a yes. You're just kind of in limbo. And I think I reached a level of desperation. Um, I was like applying on LinkedIn, applying on all the different professional sites that I could find. And I was having a lot of interviews that I thought were going really well, but then um, everyone was just taking forever to get back to me. And eventually through my network, and I hate to harp on this, but networking is so important because the job that I ended up getting was through my network. Absolutely. I mean, in every area, not just law, but especially in law, I find, I mean, that's what I've counted on throughout my entire career and continuing into law. Um, Networking is key. I know. As frustrating as that is, especially for those that aren't naturally inclined towards it. But I want to take a pause for one second and kind of rewind a little bit. Do you feel that during your 3L year or in that kind of existential crisis period post bar exam, (laughs) did your perspective on your career desires or career goals kind of shift or change at all? Um, I don't think my desire changed, but I think I started diluting myself a little bit. Um, and I'm nothing if not honest. So you're going to get the, <laughs> you're going to get appreciate the, it. the real answers here. And the truth is I, I know myself, I've lived with myself for 33 years and I knew, I knew I didn't want to enter the firm life. I knew I was more interested in criminal criminal than civil law. I knew all throughout law school and 3L, I knew I didn't want to work. (laughs) I didn't want to work in the traditional law job. I knew that. Um, But then 
when it came to actually applying and finding a job, it was desperation. I got to be honest, it was desperation. And I slowly, as I submitted each resume and had to crank out cover letter after cover letter, which even just thinking about writing those cover letters is cringe physically painful. Oh my gosh. The more cover letters I had to write, the more desperate I became for just that process to end. And that's not healthy. I'm not saying that that is, but I think it's normal maybe. And I was just so desperate to, um, and there's a little bit of like, you know, I, my motto in life and in law school has always been comparison is the thief of joy. Like I really tried to live through that motto in law school and I did okay. Other people's outlines were like really excellent compared to mine. And I would just tell myself comparison is the thief of joy. Other people had amazing internships and I was just, I feel like twiddling my thumbs a lot of the time. Same thing. Comparison is the thief of joy. But finally, after law school and after the bar, when people were posting about like, you know, I'm thrilled to share that I've accepted an opportunity at blah, blah, blah. For some reason, those posts got more under my skin than anything had throughout law school. I just felt like everyone is getting a job. I'm the last one to get a job. So I think I was just going to take anything that came across my um like the first person that offered me something, I think I was going to take it at that point. I'm just going to be very honest. I mean, it's amazing how degrading the job application process is, Yeah. but something that really resonated with me, because I'm also a kind of alternative law student who happens to be taking a very traditional route post-law school, um, which was very unexpected and also something I had never, ever planned to do and actually told myself I was not going to do. Um, <laughs> Comparison is the thief of joy is such an interesting, meaningful statement because in reality, we're not coming to school like other students are coming to law school. And I obviously we can't use the apples to oranges comparison because as you know, lawyers and law students, we know that you can compare an apple and an orange, but <laughs> but in reality, you know, like you're comparing yourself to something that's just an entirely different genre of student. Absolutely. And so why? Like that is that doesn't add meaning or value to your life, nor does it for them. So there just really is no point. And if it's not going to make you feel more secure and confident, you know, why bother? And you made it through law school and you got to the bar. So in my mind, like we're kind of already winning when we get there. Yeah. So then I, I developed the attitude. Um, and I guess I was justifying my desperation at the time. I developed the attitude that no matter, there's no such thing as a shitty job out of law school. Um, and that's not true. <laughs> um, but I think the sentiment behind it was that no matter what, I have to have a first job. And I don't know how to lawyer because you don't learn how to lawyer in law school. Um So I need to get a job and I just need to learn how to be a lawyer and it doesn't matter. I do have like, I'm very mission driven. Everything I've ever done in my life has been because of my values. So the job didn't matter in so much as long as it fulfilled my value requirements. So my values are um, never make a rich person richer. (laughs) 
um, always work for the people and never the man and stick it to the man as often as possible. So I knew that as long as the job I was accepting fulfilled those three requirements, I was willing to do it. So that I did not waver from. Um, but like, as far as civil versus criminal or law firm or, um, you know, litigation versus a more transactional job, like all of those things kind of went out the window as long as I could stay to my values. And, and everyone has different values, right? Like for some people, like those, the things that I said, I wasn't going to worry about anymore. Those are the most important things. So like I, I tell students now that like, you can't make a wrong decision as long as you're staying true to your values. And that's the kind of the attitude I went into it with. So the job I ended up accepting did fulfill those requirements. Like I was helping poor people. I was, um, yeah, working for the people and not the man. And I was sticking it to the man. I was, I was doing consumer protection work. So I was, um, working for consumers against like mortgage servicers and car loan companies and credit card companies, um, all like big, huge corporations, Sally Mae and, and Aquan and all those disgusting entities. So I really felt um, motivated for that reason, but um, there, there, I did forget myself along the way. And that's why I ended up not loving that job as much as um, I wished I had. So even the firm that you did end up working with was a pretty non-traditional yeah, type of entity. Um, and I know that there's been changes and there are changes coming. So we can, you know, put those off for a second and we'll come back to that. But in the meantime, I, I think it would be interesting to kind of just briefly give a, a general sense of what the space that you were working within or the organization that you're working in looked like looks like yeah before we move on to how you're reassessing and where you're headed from here sure so um like i said it was through networking actually a law school classmate who i was friends with texted me and said um my uncle like a lot of your law school classmates will have uncles aunts parents cousins, relatives that are in the legal field. This was one of those situations. Her uncle texted her and said, do you know any um, smart, passionate liberals who are look, look, looking for a job? And she was like, oh, I have a friend that fits that description perfectly. Um, so she just like forwarded me his text. And I was like, yeah, I'm interested. I didn't even know. I had no idea what the job was but I was intrigued by the description of smart, passionate liberal. I, I feel like I fit that description. So I was like, okay, if this is what he's looking for, then I, it, it probably is something I wanna do. So I like entered into this interview having no clue what I would be doing. Um, and it turned out to be a legal startup essentially. So it was just like a very fresh law firm, very tiny. And I was actually like the second or second or third attorney um, that they hired. So I, and, and I've thought about a lot how to describe it. Small firm is probably the correct technical definition, but it, it is very non-traditional in that it was like the financing of it and um, kind of the structure was more like a startup. 
And you think of startups more in like Silicon Valley and the tech space. So it took that structure, but it was a law firm. So it was, a. I think that's quite unusual. Um, and as a first year associate with literally no experience whatsoever, I was one of three attorneys working for this firm that was serving quite a large population. So it was, um, you know, I just got thrown into the fire and um, tried really hard to survive <laughs> for a year. Do you feel like getting thrown into the fire was a good learning experience? Like, have you been able to actually kind of like evolve in a practice to some extent? In in some ways, um, but this is where I think the traditional route um, may be better in that there's like a structure that exists in firms that have been around where an associate can come in and like train and shadow and there's like a very systematic approach to um, teaching them how to practice the law and I did not have that experience necessarily so um, yes I did learn but I think I would have learned a lot better if it was um, if it mirrored a little more of what the traditional firm structure is like. Um, it was really a free for all and I did my best, but a part of the problem was that like, I don't care about financial law at all. Like I never took any consumer classes in law school. I never took, I actually have my whole life actively avoided learning about financial stuff, <laughs> the economy. I mean, I know enough and I'm like a news watcher, so I know enough to function in our society, but learning highly relatable yeah like learning the nitty-gritty of consumer protection law was not something I wanted for myself um and it is what ended up being the entire job was that and um you know I thought I'd be super into anything that was helping people And um, I ended up getting really frustrated because I just didn't know the law and I didn't, wasn't passionate enough about it. I was passionate about helping people. That is what I'm passionate about. So I was willing to learn as much as I had to, to be able to help these people. But um, that is not enough for me to like be happy in a career. Um, And I ended up doing the exact same thing as I was when I was a therapist, which is having individual clients and talking to them about their problems, kind of putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound and kind of um, carrying on, having them carry on with their lives and uh, doing the same thing again and again with client after client. And so I found myself stuck in the same rut that I was as a therapist, which is it just didn't feel like I was actually making any kind of difference, especially at the macro level. I mean, it was practicing law as micro as you can. So while all of this is going on, you became an adjunct at Loyola. Yeah. I know that it's an area that you're very passionate about, but I'm really curious, first of all, how that happened. And second of all, as a first year associate, like how the heck you made space for something like teaching law, which is just in my mind, and maybe this is, you know, showing my ignorance about it. I feel like being a law school professor might be one of the hardest professorial type of of subjects that you can teach. 
Yeah, I'm sure if you're teaching like con law or torts, it's probably really tough um, or contracts to like one else. Um, but I, I was teaching professional identity formation, um, PIF, which is like a Loyola unique class. Um, I'm hoping that more law schools are doing something similar because it's so important. But um, I was involved with PIF since the very inception of it back in 2019. Um, I was a student who took it, then I was a student advisor. I mean, uh, whatever, teaching, student facilitator, sorry. That's how we met. Yeah, oh, is that how we met? Yeah, it was in your section. Don't say that, were you? I don't remember. (laughs) It was so long, I mean, that was was peak pandemia. Oh, were we, was it virtual? Was it the year I did it virtually? It was virtual and it was, we were, my group is the only 1L class to have ever gone fully through 1L year remote. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. I remember Marissa. I'm so happy we had that together. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's okay. I don't take it personally. I still don't recognize people from my section when I see them because I've only ever met them on Zoom. So I know that sucks. God. Um, So yeah, I had been involved with PIF all along. So I think it was a really natural role for me to take that as an adjunct position. Um, The content of that course is something that I've trained in professionally since, you know, 2015. So I feel felt really prepared to take that on. And then the other class I'm teaching is street law, which is a a class that I took myself as a 3L. Um, And also, it's very similar to, um, I shouldn't say similar, the content that we discuss in street law is also stuff that I'm like very passionate about. You know, we discuss like police presence and CPS schools and um, environmental issues and rights and First Amendment stuff. So it's all stuff that's relevant. It's law school material, but it's also very relevant to life. So both of those classes, um, how I made time for them is because it was ending up being the only thing I cared about in my week, to be perfectly honest. I um, was getting more and more disillusioned with my job, or I just felt like it was so monotonous. And um, like, I was just so tired of doing that work that coming to Loyola and teaching um, was the brightest spot of my week. It was the only time I felt like intellectually stimulated. I loved talking to the students. I just loved being back in that law school environment. Um, and I, I, I laugh because when I first came back to Loyola as faculty, I just got like really good feelings. So that tells me I didn't have the, the trauma from law school that I thought I would have, um, which is great. And I think it's just because I just loved being with students. I love being with students. I don't, I don't know why I love, um, I love having like intellectual conversations. I think students in this generation are so um, multidimensional, which they probably always were, but for some reason this learning environment feels 
um, more conducive to um, open conversation, or at least in my class it is, and students are willing to engage and they're willing to talk about tough things like race and religion, and I just really find that so stimulating. So um, it was it was easy for me to make time for it because it was the thing that I cared the most about in my week. Um, and the, the way I got the jobs is because I've always, um, since kindergarten, I've been a teacher's pet, I guess. Um, I've always been really good at maintaining relationships with um, my teachers and any administration. Um, I love um, getting to know the community that I'm in. So I did a lot of that when I was in law school and I maintained really great relationships um, even after law school. So it was easy decision when I was invited to be an adjunct professor. Um, and then that really naturally transitioned into what's coming up next for me. Yeah. So is this a good time for us to force you to make a big announcement? Yeah, I can do that because I noticed the network yesterday and I received an official offer. So I will be the new assistant director for student affairs at the law school, at Loyola Law School in Chicago. So yay. Yay. We're so excited to have you back. And for those of you who don't know exactly what that role is, that's the role that Jenna Silver most recently filled. Um, and we're sad that she's gone. But maybe you could give us kind of an idea of the responsibilities of a role like that. And then I'd love to hear your vision for what you're hoping to do within your role. Yeah, um, I wish I could give you a formal job description. Dean Fott said that it's everything from custodial to ceremonial and everything in between. So um, I, it's a student facing position. It's in student services. Um, I think academic counseling is part of it. I think just like problem solving and um, programming is a part of it. I, um, like I said, I'm student facing, so I, my door will always be open to students. That's the part I'm really the most excited about. I get to bring um, like my therapy skills to this job, which is very exciting. I, I'm, I, I really wanna be, um, an open door for students, a resource, a source of comfort, um, pretty much everything and anything that the students need, um, as well as being like a voice, a representative in um, staff meetings. Um, and yeah, I don't know, that's not a very good answer, but I really can't provide you um, up the description, but I think it's just, you know, I really liked what Dean Pott said. It's everything from custodial to ceremonial. If you have an issue with your locker, I think I'm the person that you're supposed to come to. If you have a question about classes, I'm a person that you can come to. And if you have a question about life, um, I'm definitely a person you can come to because I've got a lot of experience. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you. I think the, the law school is really going to greatly benefit from having you in that role, but also somebody that was so recently a student in that role, because I feel like you can really relate to the needs of students um, in a way that we kind of tend to lose the further and further out we get from having been one. Absolutely. Um, and so will you be able to continue to teach while you're in this role? 
I think so. I think that I'm going to continue with both my classes, street law and PIF. Um, PIF only happens in the fall semester for like five or six weeks um, in the evening. So that won't really overlap with the, um, you know, standard nine to five working hours. And then street law, um, I think, um, happens once a week all throughout fall and spring semester. Um, so I haven't heard otherwise. So maybe someone listening to this podcast will call me and be like, no, you can't keep teaching. Uh, my plan is to keep teaching. That's what I, I'm under the impression that I get to keep teaching. Oh, I really want so because I love teaching so much. Had you taught before you took on yeah, so I I would say that I've taught at many, many different levels. Um, as a therapist, a big part of my job, especially when I was working in the jail system and prison system was education. Um, granted, I was um, working with adults in that setting and the education more was like addiction and domestic violence and anger management type teaching. Um, And then I worked in a psychiatric hospital for a long time and uh, in the adolescent program, because they were there during their school hours, there was actually a lot of um, non-traditional schooling that was happening instead of talking about history um, and science, we were talking about emotions and um, behavior, but I was still, you know, standing in front of a classroom of kids um, teaching them. I also um, was a TA when I was in grad school, so I taught grad level students and undergrad level students um, in that role, and then when I was in law school, I was in street law, so I was teaching high schoolers. So I think I've taught pretty much every level, um, elementary through law school at this point and everything in between elementary, middle, high school, undergrad and law. So yeah, I have a lot of teaching experience and actually my master's is in education, which is interesting. Oh yeah. Well that aligns perfectly. So it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense that you're ending, ending up at a higher ed um, institution. Yeah. I'm excited to try something new. Yeah. I'm excited to see how it goes for you and um, get to see you around the law school more often because, you know, my first year and your last year, we did not get to be in the law school together. Unfortunately, Yeah. So this is a question that I maybe did not prepare you for, but for students that kind of feel similarly about their values as you do about yours, what words of advice might you have for them as they move through law school and then start considering where to be looking for their next career stop? I would say first, figure out what your values are. Um, I spent a lot of time in grad school doing that because I was in a, in a therapy-related graduate program, so there was a lot of introspection involved there. Um, I had a lot of challenges Um, As a young therapist in working in the environments that I did, um, it was really challenging. So um, I went to therapy and my therapist's advice for me was you need to figure out what your values are. Um, So I started that work way back when. Um, So when I came to law school, I had a really clear idea of what my values were. And pretty much everything I did after that was value-based. And I think Um, a lot of the agonizing and tough decisions that come with being a law student um, 
if by focusing on my values, um, I eliminated a lot of that. So I would say first and foremost, figure out what your values are. If that is to make as much money as possible, that's totally fine. Um, that's that's kind of what you focus on. If it is to work with domestic violence, you know, it it is figuring out what your values are. Choose your classes according to that. Um, and choose your internships and jobs according to your values. I think that it's the best way to avoid feeling truly miserable in your job. And I know it's interesting that I say that having described being miserable in my job, even though I went with my values. The problem with my job was that I think the values of the culture shifted on me. Um, it, it changed and became much more of like a profit driven business. And that's not what it was when I entered it. So the value of the institution that I was working in changed um, to no longer align with my values. And I think that's what the problem was there. Um, but I, I would really say, focus some time on figuring out what your values are and just take a second to think anything you're doing, any classes you're signing up for, any jobs you're applying to, um, just take a minute to think like, does this align with my values? Because if it doesn't, you're going to burn out, you're going to be resentful, you're going to be bitter, and um, you're not going to understand why always. So yeah, that's definitely um, my advice. And then also, if you know, well, I guess I don't know. I don't want to say that. I was going to say if you know that you want to work in a firm, then don't work in a firm. But I guess I don't regret that because it just confirmed what I thought, but I wouldn't know unless I tried it. So um, another thing is keep an open mind and knowing, knowing that our degrees, our degree is so flexible. The options are endless about what you can do with that. So know that if you take a job and it doesn't feel right, you can quit. My friends were, I was having a really hard time giving my notice for my job. And my friends just kept telling me, you have a right to quit a job. You have every right in this country to quit a job. And I had never done it before. So I was really stressed about it, but having done it once now I'm like, okay, I worked, I did it for a year. It didn't work out for me and I quit and everyone survived and um, it's fine. And I'm going to be much happier now. So I'm not telling people to jump around from job to job. I think that um, that's like also a generational thing. I think people of older generations were really like loyal and committed to whatever job they uh, ended up in. But I think society has shit from that. So know that if you are miserable or the job is not aligning with your values anymore. You're not enjoying it. It's not what you wanted. You can always leave. And I say that knowing that I was hemming and hawing about leaving for all the wrong reasons. Um, but now I feel so good. I feel so much better today than I did yesterday because I put my notice in. So um, go with your gut, go with your values and try, try different things. And if it doesn't work out, there's always something else out there for you. Well, I'm super happy for you and congratulations for quitting. I have to say, I had never really been somebody that had quit a job before either. And I did um, just before the summer. And I have to say, it was like one of the best feelings in the oh world. Gosh, such a good feeling. Leading up to it, I was like, this is my responsibility and I need to make sure I hand this off perfectly. And I need to 100%, do it. And like, yeah. yeah, don't burn a bridge, but at the same time, like do what you need to do to serve yourself. And, you know, 
the organization will keep going. They will find somebody to fill your space. There are more bodies to fill the seat, not to make you feel like just a number, but at the same time, like there are other people that maybe it aligns with them better. And absolutely, if what you need is to quit, like, I mean, aren't we in, we're in quiet quitting world now. So I don't know if that's passe at this point, but loud quit, you know, do it. No, I mean, I truly, I think that's the best message I can end this with is that if you need to quit, quit. And I'm telling that to myself and anyone who's listening, who has struggled with it because man, I feel liberated and I feel so excited about my new position. I'm so ready for something new. And if I had just like, you know, gotten the guts just a few weeks ago when I decided I want to do this, I would already be done with this job. Well, and quitting's not a failure, right? Like just because you decide that something isn't for you does not mean that you failed at it. It means that you tried and decided that it didn't fit. Like you're not going to keep the sweater that doesn't fit just because you already bought it. You're going to return it. Yeah. I mean, don't look in my closet because I have a lot of sweaters that don't fit in there, but you know, it, it is, it is a, a wonderful message because, um, but it's, you know, you don't know until you try and you don't know how good it feels to quit until you quit. <laughs> so now I know not saying that I'm going to quit Loyola just because it feels so good. Um, I'm, but I'm saying now that I've done it, it's just another tool in my toolbox and I don't regret my time at my job at all. I think that um, the skills that I gained from this uh, um, job that I had the last year, I'll carry with me forever, just like all the other jobs I've had in my life, which have been a lot. <laughs> so we're really excited that you're coming back for all the Loyola students um, that are listening. Radhika's back joining Loyola in December. Yeah, December 5th is my first official day. And so you can find her, I believe, on the 12th floor as of December 5th. And thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the pod. We've missed you. So it's really wonderful to hear your voice. Anytime. Anytime. The pod is my baby. It's the thing that I'm most proud of from law school. I can't tell you how my heart swells with pride when I see what you guys have done with it. It's just like... The legacy that I wanted to leave, it's proliferated and grown and diversified in such a beautiful way. And I'm just so proud of you guys. And I just can't wait to see where it goes from here. And I'll be around for it now. So you can interview me anytime. And we definitely will take you up on that. Thank you so much, Erica. (laughs) Thanks, Marissa. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. And thank you again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station, broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Pettides and yours truly, Marissa Polowitz. Our associate editors are Neka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support that make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been another episode of The Podvocate.